good things that my mother did as I sat in church when men would, like, they would do it differently. They would pass communion, and um, there would be particular men that would stand out in the church. Like uh, John, who gave the communion meditation, Dan, who is up here uh, leading, and also Jim. So those are men that stand out this morning in the church. And so as these men would walk by, my mother would whisper to me, that's a man of God. And I was just like every other little boy wanting to grow up and be Spider-Man. That's my kind of hero. But in my mind, because my mother pointed out that's what a real man is, I grew up wanting to be like one of those men that stood out in the church. That's, that's a real man right there. That, that's what I want to do someday, is be the kind of man that somebody points at and says, that's what a man is. And so the kids that are here today, they, even though you may not realize it, that's the way they, even if they don't have a mother whispering in their ear, they still do that. They see these adults that attend church and they think, that's, that's a Christian. That's what a Christian is. I know, because I go there and learn about Christians, and there's a grown-up one. So they're watching. They're watching everything we do. And they're learning. And hopefully we're teaching them well. It looks like we are. We're in a series, No Bad Days. We're in the sixth of seven messages this morning. All right. Reaffirming our position. Developing my offense. I told you last week, if you were offended last week, you're really going to be offended today. So brace yourselves, I will still try to keep it sanitary for the children. Obviously I would anyway, but it will be cautious. I read to you 1 Peter 5.10 last week. I want to read it again. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. If that verse resonates with you, and by the way, it does with your leadership here. If it does with you, prepare yourself because your leaders are very much in tune with you, trying to pray for you and be aware of what your needs are. And we got together and decided that after we're done with this series, we are going to start another one in a couple of weeks. And if that verse resonates with you, you're going to absolutely learn a lot and probably grow a lot from that passage and from our series. I want to show you a picture. This picture is of some pioneers. It's a painting, really. And you can see the family makeup. You can, you can see who's all there. There's grandparents, there's a father, and there's a mother, and there's children. Now, you see that scope that's on the, the sites that are zoomed in on the father? If someone wants to go after that particular family, the most likely target will be the father. Why? He's the one that's carrying the heaviest load. He's obviously the one most capable of protecting the family. So if somebody wants to get to the family, they're going to have to take out the father. They're going to have to contend with the father. I don't know if we'll get the chance, but I sure hope so. I, I hope that one of these days, I know that you have a women's ministry going on here. One of these days, maybe we'll, we'll get to have a gathering of men for a special occasion. 
and talk about some of these kinds of things because in my personal opinion, and I think it's based on a lot of scripture and experience, we have overly effeminized our society even in the church. And it's hurting us. We, we've done this so much so that anymore some men wouldn't even be perceived to be a threat to someone who might cause their family harm. Somebody might look and think, I don't have to worry about that guy. I'll just go after the family. This guy's not going to make a difference. That's sad. But we've got this idea in the church that we're supposed to be extraordinarily passive. Back in time, you know this family, you look at it, there's a strong man, he's the leader. Of course, his father could be as strong as well, but he's carrying the load. He's the one that a person who might be considered an enemy would want, he would, that enemy would want to take out that father. I want you to have that thought in your head as we move along. We, I showed you this slide last week, and it referenced Ephesians chapter 6. This is a warrior. It's a, in, in the Ephesians 6 passage, we are described, we are, a warrior is described, and we're supposed to be like this as Christians. I wish I had time to tell you all of the details in my backstory here, but I don't this morning. I'm just going to jump into Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We'll get to Ephesians in a moment. For the word of God... This is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The only weapon mentioned in the description of how we're supposed to be as Christians, as the warriors, the soldiers for Christ, is the only offensive weapon is the sword. Remember, I gave you this last week. I alluded to it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. The first of it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Some of these kids are memorizing scriptures. That's how you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you want to have an offensive weapon, then you need to have the word of God. And if you want to have it ready to use, memorize it. Now we're in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 1. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord. That's fitting for today, isn't it? Yeah, did you hear that, kids? Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I just want to give you the context of the passage. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. You can look that up. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Why does that say that right there? Well, for one thing, the father is typically the main disciplinarian. At least that's the way it's designed. And it could be that a father could actually cause the kids to go the other way if he's too much so. Or if he sets a bad example. And by the way, kids, everybody makes mistakes. Don't judge your parents. <laughs> but how would you like it if your parents emulated fathers the kind of behavior that sometimes they might see in some of our cars as we're driving around and we say something like, you idiots, come on, get out of the way. How would you like it if your kids were in a grocery store with you and you have a shopping cart and one of your kids goes, you idiot, get out of the way to somebody that's in the way. How would you like that? Well, they're going to do it if they hear you talk like that. They're, they're going to think this is what adults do. 
And as they get older, they'll start discerning and they'll start, they'll start learning, okay, I want to grow up and be just like that or I, I want to grow up and never be like that. They're learning and they're growing and they're either going to look at you as a role model or they're going to look at you and think, I don't ever want to be like that. Think about that. Fathers, you don't want to embitter your children. I'm skipping over a small part because I don't want to get distracted. It does talk about uh, slavery in the middle of all this because it's using an analogy how we're supposed to think. And, and I want to move on contextually and talk about this because the kind of slavery that we ended up with in the world was horrible, it was bad, and anytime you treat humans like less than human, that is wrong. I don't have time to have a whole sermon on that, so let's move on to talk about the context here. Finally, this is verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's a spiritual battle. Everything we do in life is a spiritual battle. The devil is always trying to get us distracted from doing what God wants us to do. And God is always wanting our attention so that we can know his love, know his grace, and share it with others. We are in the middle of a pandemic. You all know this. We, we got all these crazy things happening in our world and a lot of people going crazy, and that's literally. It seems like the whole world's going mad. But, and, and the church, our, the church, it's hard to grow a church. It's hard to, it's easy for people in the church to get discouraged and feel like we can't, we're in a pandemic. We can't, we can't do much more than we're currently doing. Can I tell you for a moment about a church that's not too far from here? It's, I believe the Post Falls, Idaho is where real life church is. Has anybody heard of that church? Raise your hand if you heard it. You might want to learn about it. It's uh, pretty fascinating, this church. It's a Christian church, just like this one. They teach the same things. But since the pandemic began until last Sunday, they have had 3,000 baptisms in a pandemic. Don't let the devil convince you that this pandemic has to slow down the work of the Lord, because it doesn't. We have a golden opportunity here. I just mentioned that. I just said baptism. Did you hear that? There's, there's probably some people in this room who have questions about that, who wonder about that, who don't know. I, I'm curious. I don't know. I didn't even ask. I don't know when's the last time was it the baptistry was used here, but it's, it's time, don't you think? And there, if, if you're one of these in this room that thinks something like, I need to do that. I'm, I don't know why I keep putting it off. Why do you? Ask God. Talk to one of those leaders I pointed out to you earlier. If you want to, we'll, I'll come here, I'll stay on a Sunday afternoon or come early on a Saturday and we'll do a class on baptism for all ages. I don't care. If you want, maybe we need to have a bunch of them. Maybe, maybe we could even begin to have a revival in the middle of a pandemic. Is that possible? Well, let's do that. I want to be a part of it. I hope you do too. It continues. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Oh, hold on. I already got that. 
No, no, here we go. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have done all to stand firm. In martial arts, that's one of those things you have to learn early on. If you've ever been in martial arts, they teach you how to stand properly. That way, if an attack comes, you're stable. You're not caught off guard. Standing firmly is, is a very good thing. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. That's important. That's part of your adornment. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that righteousness will protect your heart. Doing the right thing when no one else is looking. Having a good relationship with Jesus. And as the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And that's what you need to do. And I'm going to bring up a word later, and I, and I really like the word. I, and I even think some people should name their daughter this. Think about it in the future. If you've got granddaughters or great-granddaughters coming, plant seeds. This is a good name. I'll give it to you in a little bit. <clears throat> in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. That will protect you. And it's connected to that word I'm going to talk to you about with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I'm going to talk about flaming darts in a little bit as well. But your shield can protect you, this shield of faith. And take the helmet of salvation, back to baptism, that's part of it, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Got to have the offensive weapon, this book right here. Praying at all times in the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert. That keeps coming up, have you noticed? With all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Saints are just Christians. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, wherever they may be, here, around the world. And also for me, this is Paul talking, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am in an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That's a dangerous place to be speaking boldly when you're in prison. You could get in trouble for saying something that one of the guards may not like. Paul has already been through a lot. He's a very bold preacher, and he still says, pray for me that I have boldness. Wow. And we hear all this description of how we're supposed to be as these mighty warriors in the spiritual battle. You do understand how God works. He is not going to do something, he's not going to take something evil and explain an attribute of his or an attribute that you should have by using something evil. Not going to do that. He's not going to say, hey, you know how methamphetamine works? That's kind of like the Holy Spirit. He's not going to do that. Methamphetamine, bad. Holy Spirit, good. They don't go together. So when he uses a description of this mighty warrior to describe how we're supposed to be as Christians, you've got to understand, warriors are not bad. We, we've gotten so passive in the church that there are actually churches, there's actually preachers and teachers and theologians that teach. You can't be a Christian and a soldier. You can't be a Christian and be a police officer. There's people that teach this. It's not true. But we got so passive, that's what we're doing. You have any type of weapon that you use for your line of work, you must be evil. That's what we're teaching. But God describes how we're supposed to be in the spiritual battle using earthly weapons. 
They can't just be bad innately of themselves. That's wrong thinking. Let me show you something. There is a, there is a painting that God does in the Psalms. And John already read out of the Psalms. Psalms is a great book. If you don't know where to start in personal devotions, I highly recommend start doing your daily personal devotions, Psalm 1. Start there and go day by day, and you will go on a journey that will just suck you in to the love of God and the grace of God. You will love it. But in, in the Psalms, in, in chapter 7, if you, don't, if you want to turn there, you can, there is a painting that God gives us of himself. What's happened is David is being pursued by his enemy, and he's afraid that God's not listening. You know, he's like, he, he really knows. But he's like, hey, I'm not hearing you, Lord. I'm praying, and my enemy's trying to kill me. That's, you know, that goes throughout the Psalms. But in chapter 7, this is pretty cool. You get down to verse 12, and look at how God paints himself. If a man does not repent, referring to the enemy of David there, God will wet his sword. Get this in your head. He's painted this picture. As David is praying to God, and he's listening. You know, David's talking about the enemy. He's talking about bad stuff happening. God, please listen to me. Hear my prayer. And, and God is listening. Imagine, get the... The visual, God is listening, keep talking, sharpening his sword. He's doing what? Keep talking. You get this picture of a God that is about to unleash his fury? That's the picture he wants you to have. God holding a sword, sharpening it while you're praying. Just because God is not answering your prayer right in front of you for you to see it right now doesn't mean he's not listening. He's getting ready to unleash the answer to that prayer. He always answers our prayers. Well, there's more. It's not just a sword. He takes it further than the sword. Look at this. He has bent and readied his bow. Now, sword is an offensive weapon. Bows and arrows are offensive weapons. So imagine God, he's got this, what they call a recurve, and he's bending the bow back and he's getting the string on it. What did you say? Okay, I'm listening, I'm listening. And he's got his bow ready. It, he takes it further. You remember when that whole Saddam Hussein thing was going on and we're looking for weapons of mass destruction? Well, guess what? There are weapons of mass destruction in the Bible, and God uses this to describe himself and his arsenal. Look at this. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. So as David is praying, as we are praying, and David is asking that God takes care of this. The enemy's coming. God, are you hearing me? Are you answering? David is assured. He knows. God is answering. God is getting ready. He has lit his arrows on fire. In their day, in David's day, the weapon of mass destruction was an arrow that you light on fire and shoot over the wall to catch things on fire. That, they didn't have bombs. This is the best they had. And God describes himself with these mighty weapons. When you pray to him, he can unleash things that are, we can only describe with our weapons of mass destruction. He's got so much power, nothing that we know of here on earth can actually describe it. Have you not seen prayers where God answers in a way that you couldn't even imagine that, that it was going to work out the way he worked it out? That's God. So while you're praying, and while you don't feel like he's listening, just remember, he is listening. He might just be silently preparing to unleash 
the answer to those prayers. That's the God we serve. He gives us this visual that He's a mighty warrior God. I wish I had time to go through all of the uh, other things I could show you in the Old Testament that describes Him quite well, but we'll leave it at that. Jesus tells us a little bit of advice, and we've taken it and we've blown it out of proportion. I want to talk about it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 39 the second part of that verse, he says something, and this is what we take and we run with it, and we take it out of context, and we don't even listen to what it says. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So we read that, and what we think is, if somebody punches you in the face, you cannot punch them back. You have to let them punch you again and pummel you to the ground. You have to just keep letting it happen. Excuse me, back up, read it again. This is not talking about punching in the face. This is talking about slapping somebody as an insult. This is not talking about defending. It's not talking about self-defense. If somebody insults you, let them. Let them keep on insulting you. Have you seen the English? They still do this. They do it with gloves now. They're much more passive. Insult you and your mother. That's the way they do it. They're not real brave. It used to be back of the hand, whatever. This isn't fighting. This is insulting. Can I give you another passage? And we, we don't always let this play out, but I want to let this play out in, in your minds. First Timothy, and by the way, First Timothy falls in the pastoral epistles. This is a description of how church leadership should be. So the ones that set the example for everybody else to follow. But if this is First Timothy chapter five, verse eight. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We always read that and we always think, okay, that means got to put food on the table, clothes on their backs, got to provide physically for their physical needs. Um, well, there's other things that, that, are, that are beyond food and clothing. What if they need medical attention? What if they need a band-aid? Or what if they what if what if they need protected? Are, are we not supposed to protect our families? Why don't you start back in Genesis and just read and see the responsibilities God has for especially the men, but you're supposed to protect the people you love. You're even supposed to protect those who can't protect themselves. the way it works. You're even supposed to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Some of you might get very insulted when I say this, but that's okay. Does that apply to unborn babies? Yes. I had a woman leave a church, her whole family, we were close to them, we were very close to the whole family, and I, I said that it's close to 30 years ago. And the woman and her family left the church and told people that the preacher said that I was going to burn in hell because I had an abortion. I didn't know she had an abortion. I believe abortion is a forgivable sin, but you can't really repent of something if you plan out. See, repent means change your mind. You can't say, okay, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to ask for forgiveness later. Well, then how are you changing your mind? You planned it out all along. So, so... Let me, if you don't understand, if you're stay, sitting here and you're thinking, ah, oh, 
Why is he talking about abortion? Let me, let me explain. I, I want to back up and tell you a little thing. When we were in Arkansas, um, we had a problem in our, up in the, we had a, a chimney and there was like a top that covered the chimney, but it was a little open. And I needed to, um, I couldn't light it on fire because I knew it would start a fire in the chimney. I had to clean up that, whatever that was up there. And I went up there and you know what it was? I got up the ladder, got up on there, and I, and I looked, and I could not believe it. It was an eagle's nest, a bald eagle's nest, and it had eggs in it. Oh, man. So I took a hammer, and I smashed the eggs and destroyed the nest. I'm not, I didn't do that. I'm just making that up. That whole story's made up. That didn't happen. There was no bald eagle's nest. There were no eggs. I didn't take a hammer and destroy any eggs at all. But that feeling you might have inside, you think, oh my goodness, would he really destroy a bald eagle's egg? That's so wrong. Why is that so wrong? It's wrong. Then why is it so right to have abortions? Why do we get so worked up about something like a bald eagle's egg and care nothing about abortion? A real-life human. A real-life human that's inside a mother's womb that God had a plan for from the beginning. That should bother us. I'll get off that one. You're welcome. Remember this house I showed you last week and you got all the entrance uh, points here? Uh, I want to show you that again because I want to show you something. What if we put a fence around the house? Would that make it safer? You can see the fence is going to come up here. There you go. There's a fence. Well, it's still, it's just the back and sides. There's still part of the front of the house that's not really protected. It's a little bit more protected with that fence. That's good. A defensive thing is a fence. But what if we put a guard out in the front? How about that? That would be better if we could have a full-time guard as always just monitoring the front, walking the perimeter of the fence. Maybe we could add more. That would be a very cool thing if we could do that to make it even better. The reason why I wanted to show you that is because I want to tell you a story, and it's a really cool story. Remember that pioneer family that I showed you a picture of? Think of another one. This story was told by Billy Graham, and it's a true story. Back in the Wild West days, a family would settle their, their they would stake off their property and this is their land. They would plant gardens. They would build a house. And this is their land. Well, some problems happened. The Native Americans that were there didn't like this happening. And so some of them in this particular region had gone around, put on their war paint, and they had begun eliminating families that were pioneers in this area. And fear was over everyone. The story goes that the Native Americans would put their war paint on. They would line up so that they could be seen just before sunset. And when, when it became dark is when they would attack. One night, a family looked out and saw on the hill Native Americans in war paint with all of their weapons on their horses as the sun was going down. They knew they were next. It was just the father, the mother, and their children. And the father said, okay, everybody come into here. Went into a, a space that he felt would be more protected. And he said, we're going to pray. I don't know what else to do. We're going to pray for God's protection. 
They didn't have weapons to defend against this massive army of Native Americans. So they got down on their knees and they prayed. And they kept praying. And they kept praying. Every time they would look out and they would see the silhouette of the Native Americans, they could see the, the one that looked like the one that was in charge. He had a whole bunch of feathers, you know. He's like, that looks like the one that's in charge. Still there, just, just waiting. They prayed through the night. Kids fell asleep every now and then, but morning came, and as the sun began to rise, the one that looked like he was in charge, very recognizable, ordered everyone to turn and leave, and they left, never to come back. One day, while the father was in town, he saw that very recognizable leader, and he went up to him, and he could speak English, and he said to him, hey, I live uh, out of town, this direction. Uh, you were at my house not too long ago on the hillside with a, a lot of your people. Why why did you do that? You scared us. Why? And the Native American responded and said, where did you get your army? What? Your whole house was surrounded with warriors. Where did you get your army? Billy Graham tells the story as he talks about angels and how real they are. The people inside that little cabin, they didn't see the warriors. But God answered the prayers. Those Native Americans, they saw warriors and they backed off. Is that a cool story or what? Now, when you're playing sports, you understand that very seldom do you get to win by defense, even because the way you get points is by offensive maneuvers. And you say, well, I don't know. I mean, those Seahawks, I've seen a lot of those Seahawks, you know, they'll, they'll get a pick six. What do you call that? Well, I call that an offensive maneuver. They ran the ball into the end zone. That is offense. A defensive player did it, but they turned it into an offensive maneuver. They were no longer defending. They were they were running the ball in an offensive maneuver. That's the only way you make points. If you want to win, you have to get into an offensive posture. You have to get a little bit more aggressive than just defending yourself. Remember this picture I showed you last week, the boxers up here? Notice what's happening. The one boxer has very well defended a blow. And he is about to unleash one of his own. If he only defended the whole time, if he only covered his head and just stood there and took a beating, he would never win. He has to take an offensive posture. He has to make offensive maneuvers. Christians, we have become too passive. We've even made it, and there's probably people in this room, we've even made it where it offends us. And by the way, let me just go ahead and do that. I've already been on one soapbox. I'll get on another one. So you remember the Robert Conrad commercials? Remember he used to do the Duracell things that he put on his shoulder? Go ahead, knock it off. Remember that? Like, he didn't care. You just go ahead and try to knock it off. Remember that? Well, we in the church, and the world has gotten too, too soft in a lot of ways. People think it wins the argument. It's the end of the argument if they say, that hurts my feelings. It's all over now. We can't, we can't talk anymore. It's, it's over. They said it. Or how about this in the church? 
That offends me. That offends me. Well, guess what? So what? Why do you think your feelings matter more than anybody else's? Stop wearing your feelings on your sleeves. And you know what? There's people in this room that don't even know what that means. Because we don't say it anymore. People are just... People act in such a way that we have to walk on eggshells to get near them. No wonder you don't meet too many people with confidence in the world. No wonder we are ripe for a revival because we have something to be confident in. So what if it offends? And this does. It's okay. That offends me. That hurts my feelings. Good. What are you going to do about it? Here you go. <laughs> Bet you didn't know this existed. Look at this picture. This is Christian mixed martial arts. The next picture. Did you know that existed? I didn't know that existed until this week. Some of us would be like, oh my goodness, that's got to be wrong. That's just so wrong. How could fighting ever be right? Let me show you something you might not realize. I'm going to teach you something. If you have Bibles and you have maps in your Bibles, you're, you might want to take notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. So I do not run aimlessly. <laughs> i gotta, I got to tell you about this part. Don Bailey was a man that Stephanie and I met in Houston, Texas. And he was a wonderful character. He was a preacher that was a very good preacher. He could, he could preach any time, just on the spot, and do an excellent job. But he got old. And as he got old, churches didn't want an old preacher. His only skill set was preaching. His brother had, a, had his own business, and his brother said, well, come down here. I can pay you to work for me. And so Don and Rosalie Bailey moved to Houston, Texas, lived in a very meager place. They dedicated their lives to Christ their whole, their, all their ministry was their, their whole life. That's what it was. And Don Bailey, he was getting sick. We didn't realize how sick he was, and the Lord took him rather quickly. But before that, I got to use him as an elder in the church, and boy, did I learn a lot from Don Bailey. He was such a godly man. And one day, the church did an all-church bowling thing. Hey, maybe this church can do that someday if the governor's edicts haven't closed them all down by the time that we can bowl. But if we do bowl, don't expect much from me. My strategies are horrible. But Don Bailey wanted to go bowling with the whole church, you know, the youth group and young families. And there's this old man who wants to go bowling. And he bowled, and he didn't do any good at all. It was horrible. He's like 60-something was his high score. Like, ah, you bowl like I bowl. But he had so much fun because he hadn't done it in years. He felt youthful. He, was, he felt on fire even though he had a disease that none of us knew at the time. It was just taking the energy out of him. When he was done bowling, you would not believe what happened. When he was done bowling, he took off running outside the door to go find his car for Rosalie. He had his keys in his hands, and he took off running. <laughs> and he ran over here. Where did I park? And then he ran over here. He ran all over the parking lot, back and forth and back and forth. It was hilarious. He couldn't find his car, but he kept running. <laughs> Paul said... I don't run aimlessly. He has in mind where he's trying to run. If you're going to win, you've got to be determined 
to achieve the goal. So you run with purpose, Christians. And he takes it a step further, and it's further than you might expect. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I find myself... Preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Sometimes I memorize in a different translation. Sorry about that. We're going to get back to that verse. I want to show you on a map up behind me. This is the region that's impacted by this letter in Paul's day. You can see, um, what I want to talk to you about is the Isthmian Games. No, I did not lift when I said that. It's the way you say it. Isthmian Games. Try to say that five times real fast. You might want to write it down. Oh, man, I got my words off of there. I don't know what happened. But that's the way you say it. Now, look at this. I'm going to put a little circle up here where it, the region that we're particularly talking about. You can see Athens, and you can see Corinth and their relationship to each other. What, what were the big games that we still do today that were big back in Athens? Do you know what they're called? Olympics. Yeah, that's right. That's not the game that was most popular to the, to the people in Corinth. In fact... The most popular of the games to the people in Corinth was, were the games that happened closer, known as the Isthmian Games. If you look at that circle, you can see where Corinth is and Athens is. In between those two connections of, of land, they're connected by what is known as an isthmus. <laughs> and there is where they had the Isthmian Games, and there it happened every... It was the one year before the Olympics and one year after the Olympics. So instead of every four years, it was every two years. The only sport... Well, let me... Let me uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's go back to that scripture again. Look at it. You'll see it in the next slide. There it is. All right. So I want to show you the Greek word for box. See, it says, I do not box. I like the English Standard Version. That's the one I'm using. I think it's one of the best out there, but it does not do a great job in translating that word. That's the Greek word, and the way you say it is deron, and the way you would translate it is you want to know the colloquial expressions of the day. It actually means to punch, but it's, it is a colloquial expression for fight. The best translation is fight. Let me see where I am in my notes so I don't get, get you confused. There you go. We can change it to fight. You got it. Good job, JC. He's, he's on it. He's, he's on it with sound today. He's on it with the slide. That's awesome. But I want to tell you, the only sport that the people in Corinth knew about that was a fighting sport, there was no boxing in Olympics at that time. Zero. So when Paul wrote this, he did not mean, when I box, he didn't mean that. There was no such thing as boxing. What he was talking about was the only fighting sport that was in the Isthmian Games. There wasn't a, this wasn't in the Olympics at the time, but it was in the Isthmian Games. I'll, I'll stop saying that now because it's irritating. <laughs> it's called pancration. Anybody here ever heard of pancration? Raise your hand high. Yeah, my wife, she's the only one in the room, really? You should look it up. It's fascinating. Pancration is the world's first form of mixed martial arts. It included using the closed fist, open hand, knees, your feet, and wrestling. Basically, it's, it was a worse form of mixed martial arts because they didn't use pads. They used everything they had. Whoever is still standing at the end of it all wins. 
That's pancreation. Remember what I said, uh, God doesn't use a bad thing to describe him or his attributes or how we're supposed to be? Here, God inspired Paul to use the world's most brutal sport. And he said, I train hard. He said, I do not fight as one beating the air. I don't do my pancreation stuff. That's kind of cool to think of Paul as somebody who might practice mixed martial arts. I, I like that. That's kind of cool. And it goes on to talk about how he, the whole passage is about having this, this is that word I was telling you about, somebody should name their daughter, I've never met one named this, tenacity. I love that word. Tenacity. It goes along with an Old and New Testament word. We hear about God's, uh, you hear about, uh, basically, we talk about, um, I'm not going to get into that. The best way to describe God's love is unfailing love or steadfast love. That's a biblical definition of God's love. It's the kind of love that is so tenacious it does not give up on us. Even when we're not living for him, even when we are not doing what we know we ought to be doing, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I keep doing the things I know I'm not supposed to do and I don't do the things I know I'm supposed to do. God's love is so tenacious. He comes after us. He wants us to know his love. That's the kind of attitude we're supposed to have when we fight these spiritual battles. If you, if you, have you watched the greatest athletes? The thing that sets them apart, besides their skill set that they practice and practice and practice and get good at, is their tenacious spirit. They have so much tenacity. That's how they do it. They don't give up no matter what. It's the kind of faith we're supposed to have. Don't give up. You keep going. Don't you love that? This is what God wants to have come in us and boil up and reach to the surface so that we can be a part of the kind of revivals he wants to see. It starts in us. I'll move on. Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. Because we live in a world where Christians are saying things like, don't fear, you should never fear anything. Yet Proverbs 1, 7 says to fear the Lord. We can talk about that another day, but I want to take you to Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. This is Jesus speaking again. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. In other words, and we already know from other passages quite, quite clearly, Jesus is the one who is the judge of our souls, and he says, I'll tell you who to fear. Fear me. That's what Jesus says. Don't fear people that can do no more to you after your body is harmed. Fear me. I judge your soul. See, if we fear him, we'll want to please him. That's what we're supposed to do. It's a good thing. We can talk more about that another day if you'd like. Ask me about it if you need to know more. But he is our Lord, mighty warrior Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20. I'm, I'm sorry, this is wrong. It's verse, chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Sometimes I have typos up here. You should see my fat thumbing. Oh my goodness, I can fat thumb like nobody else. I got mad skills fat thumbing. I was telling Dan and Marcy one day, 
I, I, I went to be encouraging, and I went to type a message, and I wanted to say something very encouraging about something that was about to happen. And I, I meant to say, I hope he does. And I fat-thumbed, I hope he dies. That's the opposite of my intention. But uh, good thing I didn't send before I caught it. But I did another one the other day. I got to tell you, this is hilarious. I got a friend in New Zealand, and I haven't seen him in years. And so I meant to put, I miss you, my friend. You know what I'd put? I kiss you, my friend. I, I, I don't even want to apologize for that. Just, just pretend it didn't happen. Sorry. <laughs> That's hilarious. <clears throat> so, here's my typo. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We started with that, remember? That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The world wants us to fit into their mold. They want to tell us what a Christian is and how a Christian is supposed to behave. They want to tell us how we're supposed to think and how, how we're supposed to do anything. And, and i got to tell you, um, most, most of the time, you do know this, most of what our kids are being taught is against what we're trying to teach them in our homes. And kids, if you're listening to this, if you have teachers that are telling you on a regular basis that your parents are wrong, your teacher's wrong. Honor your parents. Listen to your parents. Especially if they're bringing you to church, they know a thing or two. So pay attention to your parents. They're the ones that are right, not the people that are telling you don't listen to your parents. I'll get off that one. I want to get to the final thing. Here we go. We're wrapping it up. Reaffirming our position. Developing my offense. This might look familiar to you if you were here this week or last week. First, learn and, sh and know Scripture. Colossians 3.16. If you're going to be offensive, if you're going to be one who has your offensive weapon and you want to win, and by the way, we win. i got to tell you this. I can't leave this part out. I'll do it quickly. Do you, have you read Daniel? In Daniel, there is a visual that is fantastic. It's a vision that's given to King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel gets to tell him what his dream was and tell him what, the, uh, what it means. And there's this, this statue in the vision. It's really cool. It represents all the kingdoms, including the Babylonian kingdom that's, that's happening right then under Nebuchadnezzar. And then it goes to the Medes and the Persians and then the Greeks. And, then, and I would, oh, I, I'd love to talk to you more about this because it unfolded exactly as Daniel predicted. And then, and then Rome is after that, and this is that, that description of the, the idol, and then, or the, the statue. And then while Rome is in power, God fashions, see, see, all the rest are built by the hands of man. God builds a kingdom, and he takes this rock that's, built, that's, that's intended for eternity. This kingdom that God's going to establish will undo every kingdom of man he establishes his eternal kingdom from his own hands while Rome is in power. That's exactly how history unfolded. And do you understand that that's the, that was a prediction? It aligns with Revelation. Do you understand? God established his eternal kingdom. That means it lasts forever. That means it's not going away. Jesus, when he died and rose again and ascended to the right hand of God, he was established as a king of kings and lord of lords. And if you serve him, 
you're in that eternal kingdom. If you live for him, you're in that kingdom. If you've been baptized into Christ and you've begun your Christian journey, you are in the kingdom that will last forever. Do you not feel good about that? That's awesome. The final and eternal kingdom, we're in it. All right, I, am, uh, I don't want to go too long, so JC, if you can just click through all those things, they're exactly the same as last week. Every single one of these points are exactly the same. Just flip it and apply offense rather than defense. I got one more verse I want to give you and then be done. You ready for this? This is a good one. This, is, this comes in the same context where Jesus was sending out just a few, but he sent them out and he said, uh, do not suppose that I came to bring peace but a sword. Wow. You might want to read that and what that's all about. When you stand up for Jesus, sometimes the people closest to you won't stand for it. And there will be division, even in your own families. But that's okay. Stand up for Jesus. Look at, look at what else he said here. This is wisdom. If you want to take one of these verses and memorize it today, this is really good. This will be good for you. If you want to be a good soldier, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves.